secrets, <laughs> which I'm not going to tell you. Large sort of um, corporate structure, 
Although she is, um, she's also an entrepreneur in her bones. Um, she joined uh, gatekeepers. Uh, their company product is called Safer Lab. She has done some really dynamic things for that company. Um, they're both heartfelt, but they're very serious business challenges, and I'm super proud of the work she's doing in the world. Um, Danita Simamani, well, every one of us should want to be here when we grow up. And um, she makes it look really easy, but it isn't. And she's really uh, built a platform to become the global platform for skin, both AI skin typing, but also has positioned herself, probably has a relationship with more of the skin practitioners and skin products um, and knowledge. Um, skin's kind of an important thing for us. She's very well positioned. Um, she's worked her tail off to get there. Um, and Jean Yancey, uh, uh, talk about working your tail off to get where you're going. Um, I really appreciate uh, Jean's story, in part, uh, because she has this incredible spine of perseverance, and she has built this company from the ground up. She started as a lawyer. We don't hold against her. <laughs> um, and and is, is, has really become, her company M-Train has become the de facto standard that any HR platform in the world that can help companies um, really develop cultures of absence of, of sexual harassment, but that's not really what M-Train's greatest value is. Um, they've kind of become the Linda.com of all things HR training, and, and they, they've, gotten, they've gotten some great strides this year. So it's my pleasure to just let them share their stories with you, and we'll see where the conversation goes. Um, yeah, so I, we have a company called Dervada, and our whole focus is around integrative medicine. So we were actually founded by physicians. So everybody else on the team except for me is pretty much a dermatologist as our co-founders. Um, and really the conversation started around two main pain points. First was um, this growing trend in complementary and alternative medicine. So there are more people in this country and hopefully that are interested <coughs> in what they can do to prevent their diseases, what they can do with, about their diet and lifestyle that just wasn't covered in modern medicine. Because they still to this day don't cover a lot about diet and nutrition in med school. Um, and so there was just this huge gap. More and more people were doing yoga. They were coming into the doctor's office saying, have you heard of Gojakala? Or what do you think that tumor is? Or will this work? And the physicians were saying, you know, either they pretend they don't hear them or they just really have no idea. Um, so that was problem number one. Number two is skin is actually the number one driver of doctor's visits. So there is a huge gap between the number of people wanting to see a dermatologist and the number of dermatologists available. Um, so what was happening is you get down to five, 10, 15 minute appointments with your patients. And it's very difficult if somebody comes in with something chronic. So oftentimes by the time you go see your dermatologist, it's something kind of serious. Um, and so it's um, either chronic eczema or acne or psoriasis or skin cancer. So there wasn't a lot of time to educate the patients. And so they would come in and get a treatment done, but then they also wanted to know, is this sunscreen safe? Is it better to get mineral-based? Or what, you know, what does this do? And oh, by the way, my child has this. You know, what, what should I do about my child's eczema? And so there just wasn't enough time to cover all of that. So you bring all of that together, and so my background's in education. And so for me, I've always seen that access to information is really what changes um, someone's life trajectory. It just it changes everything. And so wanted, they would they would just talk shop. And so one day I was I, I just asked, well, you know, why don't you send them information? You know, when they go home, and everyone looked at each other, and I thought for sure they had handouts or like something. 
and then she, there wasn't anything. So we started Googling, because I thought for sure maybe they missed it, or it had to exist. But literally, we found one foundation in New Zealand called Dismed and <coughs> And they focus a lot on physician education, so it's kind of medical level. There literally was not a single website dedicated to dermatology that was run by dermatologists. So there's a lot of skin and beauty sites. That's one of our challenges, is we compete against um, a lot of blogs, because a lot of people want to share their skin experiences. And that's tricky because one um, uh, well, one thing we're really trying to focus on is a lot more around personalization. Because what works for one person's skin based on their skin type, their skin color, gender, age, won't work for the next person. And so that was a lot of what we were hearing around um, the issues people were facing. And so uh, we realized we really had to have an education platform that was led by dermatologists so that it's always high quality information, almost it's really like a medical journal, but we write it at the eighth grade national reading level. Um, so we cover a lot of, sadly, um, we cover a lot of topics on diseases, but also beauty topics. And um, we're, we are now probably the world's largest integrated um, dermatology team. So we have experts in Chinese medicine, in naturopathy, in uh, uh, Western medicine, and in Ayurvedic Indian medicine. The final reviewers are always dermatologists, so it, it took a while to get a team that was willing to collaborate, but we have awesome, awesome experts. And um, so we are hosting the world's first integrated skincare symposium this October. We're launching next week our physician portal. So we started off just for the public, and what we learned, and through a lot of our fourth grade experience, is actually physicians have the same question. Whether it's a nurse, or a pediatrician, or a family practice, or even a dermatologist, they often need this information, and there wasn't a place to access it. So we are now launching a whole new physician piece in another education arm, and with that we have the symposium that'll be in Sacramento. So we're pretty excited. pharmaceutical companies have a need to educate um, practitioners and so they do a lot of they, they will fund but they call them grants but it's like sponsorships from courses so we've been able to do a lot of kind of bootstrapping and self um, grant raise fundraising so far but we want to do bigger now okay. <coughs> what was the name of the company again Derm Dermeda Derm D E R M V
talking to a friend of mine and said, you know, I'm looking for, I have this goal and I want to achieve it. I really work on things that I thought had purpose and that I had passion for. Like I really, really did want to do it. And um, and so I met with a friend of mine. I said, yeah, I'm looking for something. And then something interesting. And then that night he had dinner with uh, the person who was chairman, the current CEO of Space Super Innovations. And she was like, oh, I'm looking for a CEO, COO type person. And he was just like, whoa. So it was like one of those serendipitous moments. And what's really neat about leading this company is that I'm very passionate about the topic of prevention, prevention of addiction with um, young people. Um, I have a lot of background in leadership from my, you know, I ran a billion dollar global organization for HP, and then I spent the last eight years doing entrepreneurial type things, you know, starting things, working on um, um, all kinds of projects. And so it's in my blood. <laughs> and so it's, I'm in this trifecta of like the perfect moment of all these things coming together. So what we do at Gate Super is we produce products to keep medicines safe from those that shouldn't be accessing them. And really the precipice of the company was uh, the inventor of the Safer Lives. His um, mom was in a really bad car accident and she went through several, she's had over 40 surgeries. And basically um, she asked, she, they discovered that her youngest son was pilfering a few pills here and there and became addicted. And so she had asked her other son to help her find a way to lock him up, and she he couldn't find anything that wasn't something very big and clunky, you know, to put a purse or, or a medicine chest. So he invented the Safer Lock. It's a four-digit locking cap that goes on standard prescription bottles. So they started working on this. They launched in the market um, probably a year before I joined. And it was interesting because we were talking to an investor the other day, and he's like, so you've been around for a while. And we said, we said yeah, I mean, we're there before the market. Because if you know, you know, everyone knows, you turn on the TV, the state of addiction, it's the number one health crisis. <coughs> it's not even peaked yet. People are dying every day of opioid-type-related um, causes, and um, it's not slowing down. It's going to continue to rise. More people died last year of opioid-related deaths than breast cancer. More people are dying of opioid-related deaths than car accidents. So um, our whole mission in life is to prevent other families from going through what the Simpsons went through. And, and I'm happy to tell you that Stephen, the one who became addicted, works for the company, got married this year, has a baby. I think he's doing really well, and it's a great, it's a great situation. But, um, but you know, it, they they lived it, and it's it's interesting because we'll go to product forums and people are there with you know engineers making products, but they made a product based on a real real serious need that they, they see that in other families that they've had this, because we never wanted to get caught. It was just more like sneaking here and there. So the product was, you know, of course you could take a hammer or a, or a saw or something <coughs> and break the bottle, but the whole point of the products, we don't open and sneak the pills, but even babysitters or housekeepers or family members that might be um, wanting to take a few pills here and there. So basically, um, we have that product. We also have a lockbox. We're working on an electronic cap, and um, we've been really involved in working with pharmaceutical companies to influence them to actually provide this as part of their their um, their product rollout of an opioid. And we actually have Clinic Therapeutics, who offers every single patient um, our product as in one with their um, prescription. Um, we also are in um, many pharmacies and working on many more. And, um, we also work on a lot of legislation. This morning we were on a call with um, Indiana, who the, the state of Indiana is proposing a bill to lock all Schedule Twos with a locking cap, and so we're collaborating with other manufacturers of 
there's nothing exactly like our product, but there's some other offshoots in the Amber Fiber and so for that common mission. Um, and last month, um, we've been working with the FDA for the last year, just letting them know what we do and talking about at least deterrent packaging. And um, last month, they had a meeting to talk about innovations, and they presented our product as one of their samples of innovations. Not we didn't present, they presented our product, so we're, and we didn't know they were going to do it. So to me, that was like a real testament to all the work that this team has done. And, and most of the team, they all went to college together. They're all like similar age. Um, really smart, smart um, young men that have been so dedicated to making this happen and, and helping to, to basically save lives. So, um, how much capital are you raising? Um, we are uh, raising a Series A for ten million dollars. We've been raising seed money, and, and we are revenue positive. We do have <coughs> clients and, and um, have revenue coming in. So, um, and our our capital is really to accelerate our growth because we have a small team and we can only get out to so many. Um, connections with all the you know pharmaceuticals, pharmacies, all the various people. So um, we need growth capital to um, expand that that sales process as well as pulling for other types of products that we see as really really important for the opioid crisis and, and keeping medication safe. So there's there's a lot more we can do quicker if we had the growth capital. And when they come back to the ten million dollar number, it's just really good to look at. down that path, and 
and lo and behold, you know, this watershed moment where everyone's realizing, oh my, we really need a user-friendly solution. So uh, we're shipping Hootsworth is the name of the product. We're shipping that. Uh, there'll be a beta out next month, but it's an app for it's a consumer product, P2C, free, obviously, and anyone can download the app and get advice from experts on their workplace issues, videos, courses, video lessons, and advice. Talk about what you want to talk about, fan tag, fourth wave. Oh no, I want to talk about fourth wave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, I was approached probably about a year ago. Um, more than that. Maybe a little more.
several weeks on Tuesday, really going through the application, talking to the women and interviewing, and we were blown away. I mean, I was kind of a holy shit moment. You just heard these stories. Okay, so we have so I mean, these are high value, high value disruptive and or completely um, compelling like minded um, technology and products. Um, and and in retrospect, we should not have been surprised by this. Um, you know, we, we just sort of say this idea of, well, technology companies that are truly funded, that, that one tenth of one percent that ultimately end, ends up being in the market, and I mean the markets market, right? That those are those are picked leaders, those are picked technologies, those are fostered, uh, mentored. They are their their gaps are, are supported and solved and boulders are removed and lots of resources are spent, right? And that's what we found. And it was it was a it was a really cool moment. Yeah. So we have some amazing women-led technology companies here at LBJ and we really became aware of that and were able to focus on that. And so um, we were we're lucky enough to work with seven of them um, over this year in identifying human being get in their own way. And 
as who we are, what we bring to our leadership, what we bring to how we develop our companies and our teams. We're either, you know, super hot messes or we're still managed <laughs> version of that, of that beautiful hot human mess. And uh, coming from this wide variety of experiences in my own life, um, my God, I've kissed the concrete a lot and made some and failed and I've succeeded. And this past year has also taught me that this concept of conscious leadership is less about some fancy phrase and more about how we, the intention with which we bring to the work to get out of our own way to understand who we are so we can build trust and cultures and support the development of leaders and high performers in our own companies. So I would really like to just hear about whatever you'd like to share about what, what this last year, not what you're, what you think about what happened, but more along the lines of what, how did it translate in your own leadership and in your own companies and your own
talk about these things and talk about things we're doing in our company is really meaning. But that kind of conversation, um, you know, I, I get in there and go at it every day and I do a lot of stuff like this at night, but there's not a lot of time where you sit down with a small group of people where you can really be super vulnerable and say, you know, how you're doing this or that. And I think that conscious leadership gave Canada the framework and then the group gave um, uh, a, a system of, um, you know, you hear about big groups, usually it's eight, ten CEOs or whatever. That's what we have, kind of like that in a different format. Do you remember the, remember the day that we were doing the uh, one of the workshops? I won't, I won't go down too, too much into the details of that. Do you, do you remember the, the frame of mind you were in when we were working that one day at the end of the summer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you, do you remember that, that state we were feeling? And there was this one moment, um, many moments, but in this particular case, um, I, I, I don't know if it had anything to do with how we structured this, but I saw you unbelievably brave, like just in the face of sheer terror, what will I do, what am I doing, how am I thinking about this, how do I get through it? And you know, I always think that, boy, it's not how, it's not what you're doing standing in the moment, it's how do you move through that space of what am I supposed to do, how am I supposed to make those decisions, and I don't know. Well, I think I never that shared that with you, but I just, I thought that was interesting. Well, I think in that example of the, of the, the program, if you will, fourth wave, um, I was stuck on a certain strategic thing in the company, and uh, <coughs> happened to just be with this group on that day, unrelated to that, but it actually came out during that time that, that I was struggling. And, and the mentors all just said, we're gonna take time to meet with you and help you through this, because what I realized was I have a great team, but, but you know, a lot of them haven't gone through those kind of strategies. And so I needed other people that have gone through creating certain types of strategies that are outside of what we're doing, and lo and behold, these five people, Barbara Hart included, just from here. <laughs> I mean, all of them took like four hours in an afternoon and and said, explain to me what you're what you're trying to do. And we talked about the strategy and it was like it was like boom. <laughs> so yeah, that was mm -hmm. that was probably the best moment of the year for me. <laughs> in terms of the being in the fourth wave. The next is hitting leaves on Sunday. So
and it was it was one of those things where the team was just super attached. That was their passion area, and so we, and at the same time, doing public education is difficult. It's a lot more difficult to grow very quickly because you need to have like a lot of like millions of users before you're able to kind of use an advertising model or um, um, and everything we do is free on our website. Um, we have some courses, but for the most part, it's free education. And so that was it was great, very wonderful passion work, but I also. into was how do we bring this new physician education arm. And so that's where we really started analyzing the market, figuring out how we could enter, what would be the gap that we could solve, um, how could we scale that. And so once I, I always thought that that was a really good idea, but I didn't know all the different pieces. And so when we would have team meetings, it was, it was not easy to convince the team. And so after going through the program, we really came together with a strategy. And we said, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now that's been impact. It's like this quarter, we skyrocketed. souls are with you as you move through this sort of scaling and growth 
you're frankly going from a dependent to a company, and you've decided that you're going down the company. Well, you can't be. You've decided you're an unrealized one million And that's a realization that you accepted this past year, is that a true statement? Uh, yeah. So in, in terms of uh, the, this, the shepherding, the, a lot of the people that are with you have been with you a long time. And so this idea of how do you figure out skill sets and the leverage points for those, you know, those invested assets and human beings versus, that's, that's a transition, that's, that's a curve. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like this last year for you just in terms of moving these group of human beings from one place to the next place, and if there's one thing that's been difficult, how did you overcome it? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, I think what you're maybe asking is, how do you go from a less than stellar caliber company? I didn't know how to say that. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm so I'll just call it like I say it. So, so uh, you know, all right, as, as a bootstrap company, you, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? So uh, for a long time, it was me and a couple other folks working our tails off and then hiring lots of people that were really sweet, really great, they were working, but not necessarily the top calibers of caliber, you know, the talent that you want to, to make things happen, right? To make, to make the unbelievable happen, right? So um, you do what you gotta do. Want to keep you? Here's a role. It's not this, but it's down here. 
for us, you know, we haven't had to, uh, you know, transition folks out to free up budget dollars. You know, we're growing at a rate that we can make budget for everyone. I think it would be a much, much more difficult situation if we had to transition folks out. To make I was just dollars. looking at my friend Amanda. Do you remember the phrase that we called this this curve? The idea that you know there are those of us who would like to invest in people and help them realize their potential versus investing in people at a point in their own curve where you're investing in what they've proven they can already do at, at, a, at a level of value creation that might even be inconsistent with your own personal values because you'd rather like help someone, right? Not versus invest at that point when they're a developer of your organization because and that reduces your risk, right? Of the investment overall, so. Well, we just time the market, right? So we yeah, just don't have, you don't have time. Talk about time. Let's <laughs> talk about time. And the lack thereof. Uh, so in the spirit of the, this idea of value creation. So, um, well, I'd actually just like to ask, and I'll throw Cheryl. Um, in the work that you did, both in the mentoring, um, the advising, and then your, in your own experiences this last year, have you learned it? Have they taught you anything new about value creation? And is there anything that you saw about this idea of value creation in them that you think is worthy of sharing? Well, there's a, yes, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit. Um, you know, the amazing thing about what I saw through this group, and you, you can hear it as they talk about uh, what they're doing, is this alignment with purpose, right? And as I see, you know, of them have been in this journey to really align, um, you know, their skill set uh, with that purpose, and but they came in with that, right? And that I, I'm convinced. If you want to be an entrepreneur or anything that you're doing, first make sure you're aligned with your purpose and you know what that is, and that will create an amount of energy and understanding and knowing in terms of getting through any perceived roadblocks, um, enthusiasm that will attract employees, customers, partners. I mean, you can, I, I think you can just feel it from this group as they talk about what they're doing. Um, so that's what I learned from them. Align with your purpose and it will work. Magically. Magically. <laughs> it's all very easy, right? It's all super magical. Um, <laughs>
they were doing. I mean, I, I have a lot of leadership smarts, business smarts, a lot of industry knowledge about prevention because I've been working on it from the other side of the fence since my nonprofit. Um, so I stepped in and just started learning what they were doing and how they were approaching it. And they were approaching the market by testing different things like we do in any good startup. So I think the, the thing that was really fun about last year meeting at getting everyone to step back and look at where we are and what we need to do and also the, the velocity of the opioid crisis really taking shape in the daily news and how that's all come together. So um, it wasn't like we did a wholesale change. Uh, we just got super focused. And the other thing was that I had met with all the usual people. You know, we met with Lopez and Lynetta. We met all these folks that are just heavy hitters in the community and started getting similar feedback about where we're at and, and things they suggested and then from this program as well. And so I think the, the, the really great thing about last year was we, we took all of these activities that we were doing and the successes and looked at the market and the legislation and what's happening there. We were in DC a bunch and then just kind of went focus to a focus. And it changed everything. everything. So I can change everything. It was like I, I it's like I say we're gonna we're very focused on strategy. Um, we're not giving up on all the other revenues we're getting that might not be exactly aligned because you know we have some really great um, customers that we supply. Um, but we're doing all and more of what's in our focus and what's our strategic. That that was the big change and, and everybody in the team agreed that once we got super focused. We went through the activity. It was kind of like, why are we doing this? What are we doing? It's like, no, we have to be focused. And and everybody has agreed in the company, and I think they've enjoyed it. And um, of course, I brought a lot of structure. That's you know, without without going too overboard, you know, the the structure of planning and how we do things. That's part of why they had me join the company. But but the whole focus and strategic focus and it's it's just so key. And that's that was the big thing that there's a lot of things that happened.
have a bit of a culminating event um, at uh, the downtown main campus at the Airlabs. And um, however, um, we're sort of committed and dedicated and working with them. Um, we're, you know, the village now. And I believe it is our intention to, to roll uh, again later next year. So, so yeah, we, so as Tracy said, we did an investor school, so we call it investor salon. Um, was it, a, it was very different than a demo day, but um, where we had investors from locally in the Bay Area come in, and everybody did a short um, presentation, and we have a lot of networking around that. Um, and we, I will tell you that in through doing this, we've identified a group of investors nationwide that have now become part of a wave called Gender Lens Investing, um, where you know they're really looking for women-led um, um, investing. And so we've built, we've started to build a really nice network with Fourth Wave. Some of these women are in diligence with some of these investors right now. And so we really want to support them. The cohort in total is trying to raise $20 million in the coming year. This was 10 right here, but if you, if you count it, me, it's actually 27. <laughs> um, and so we really, we want to be able to, you know, from now say that the bulk of that was raised and uh, these companies really are at the next level and yes we intend to do um, to do another um, cohort um, next year we ran last year April through October um, so uh, that would be the intention so when you say next year you mean this year yeah. sorry yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's coming it's still only November <laughs> 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 Thank you. 
more complicated platform um, technologies, I found a, 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 a bump, really way I can describe it, in facet uh, and talent in the last 24 months, but definitely in the last year. Um, I had a weird experience where I, I, I have some I have space to move and hide, but then I've got some space at Valley of Stems to make space about that, which is very encouraging, you know, we talk offline, but um, I was happy to be there one day and uh, a man named Paul Carlton, who invented open source, who'd been on a walkabout in Asia to define his consciousness, quite literally, and he'd left a billion dollars when he went to Asia, just walked into Valley of Stems one day for no particular reason other than a friend of his just said, hey, you should come by, I don't know, we're back in the US. And we started a conversation, and that conversation led to his joining my team, and that, that led to um, conversations with others. And I think there is a, we're at a bit of a tipping point. So there is this three degree of separation between technologists and talent and money. It's a really interesting, real, like real tipping point, I think. We all would agree. Uh, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, come on, juicy? Two or three people literally walking around the block, you know, and that's 
for me, it started really as, as outside of this. For me, and by the way, I just put myself in the service of somebody else for an hour, and it helps a lot. Um, yes? Yeah. Um, do you have any regrets that you'd be willing to share with you on your entrepreneurial journey?
one of the nerves of the group up here is first to figure out kind of what stage you are. Are you the early stage or you know, friends and family angel investors, or are you, you know, a couple people here are more for professional venture funds? So, you know, first really identify what stage. Um, and then there's, I mean, that's for equity investment, but there's a lot of other investment, like Danita has gotten them on like grants, and there's also, you know, debt for certain, you know, we have inventory. And so it's really, you know, identifying what stage, what type of investment is out there for, for my kids, what can I bootstrap? Janine did it for, you know, many years, which I think is beautiful. You know, well, you not have to have investment. It's kind of fun when you talk to an investor, they're like, Yeah. 
our receivers and in our own companies. Um, the context I like to give is that um, it's easy to say you're a CEO. Kind of also this concept of, oh, I'm gonna start up a company and won't that be fun? And, um, <laughs>
you know, and so you have to, I think, really do that work internally with what's right for me. And, you know, it can be right to not open up to investors for a while. To me, um, yeah, you know, did your sense. company um, quite well? Um, I think, would you say? Um, yeah, but I think, I think also, like, where I sit now, because I certainly have, I had that concern too. And I remember um, we were in a possible M&A situation a few years ago when the dot-com bubble got acquired by LinkedIn. And so we spent the day with their, their executive team, and I remember being super concerned about outlining the thoughts that we're executing right now. Um, and I was outlining it to the, to, um, Eric, the CEO. Um, and at the end of the day, and maybe I guess it was just a reflection of my poor outlining, but like, he's like,
and that's what we all want. They don't want us to not that's be a, successful. That's a hallmark of value creation. There is this detachment from one's own ego and self to the outcome. So you are more interested in the outcome and the truth of that outcome and the execution of that outcome than you are about your own sort of self in that process. And I would get to this personally say as a, as a lesson for myself. I mean, that was huge this year. I just gave up two thirds of my own company in making a decision to, to be a public company in a fairly short of a period of time. And I've let a lot of people into that space um, to mean I'm any less uh, comfortable. To just mean I've sort of gotten to that point where I can, I can understand the difference between holding on too tightly to my ego and making a decision about 